Hi, I'm Matt Harrison, President of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and you're listening to Clerical Errors Podcast. Recorded live at Talks and Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast, the podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. Oligan here. One thing as we get into the show, um, we had a little glitch in the microphone for the first, oh, eight to ten minutes or something like that, so uh, bear with us. The audio does get better. One of the results of not having Peter, our producer, with us as we record. So it might sound a little goofy at the beginning, but don't worry. It will improve. Thank you for listening. Well, thank you for listening. This is live, as we just heard, from the Toxin Tasting Studio. I'm Bull Hagen. And I'm Burr. And this is Clerical Airs Podcast. Where we show you what's behind the collar. So nice to have you with us today. So nice. Today is a very special day. Today is... All Hallows Eve. Also known as the Reformation. Also known as the heavenly birthday of Wolfgang of Regensburg. Oh. So. Would you like to expound on that? Uh, well, I actually preached a sermon on, uh, on this because, uh, you know, my wife wasn't too keen on celebrating Reformation, and so I just kind of like <laughs> threw them all together and made it super awesome. So You probably lifted that sermon from somewhere else, didn't you? Because you can find all sorts of sermons made on the what you said. No, I did not. I, I did not plagiarize. I did not plagiarize. Oh, my gosh. Oh. I'm kidding. Oh. So, uh, happy... Reformation Day and whatever else you just said. What was it that you said? Halloween uh, and the commemoration of Wolfgang of Regensburg. Okay. All he, right. was a, he was actually a great German saint. Um, did a lot of work uh, preaching to heathens. Mm-hmm. Uh, his one flaw, and you know we all have our blind spots, and that was one thing that the Reformation uh, ended up fixing. Um, he longed to go into solitude and, and be a monk. Uh-huh. And, um, well, he uh, his people loved him so much that they forced him to come back and serve them. And so I thought that was kind of a nice tie-in with the Reformation mm-hmm. because, you know, it's kind of a critique of monasticism, of walling yourself off from the world. Right, right. So, that uh, the, the whole notion that you serve God by serving your neighbor, not by locking yourself up and praying every second of the day. Right. This is one of the great... Uh, rediscoveries of the Reformation. So, um, And then uh, what are you preaching on then, Berg? Sunday, are you preaching on uh, All Saints? I think you guys are, aren't you? Yeah? Yeah. See, I'm, I'm being a little bit of a rebel. I'm preaching on Trinity 24, okay. which is uh, Matthew 9, the end of Matthew 9, where Jesus heals a woman who is bleeding, who has been bleeding for 12 years, mm-hmm. and a 12-year-old girl who has just died. And the cool thing about this is it really ties in with All Saints Day because Jesus gets to the house and they've got their professional mourners mourning and crying. And, yep. You know, even back then they paid for the hype, you know. <laughs> uh, and, <laughs> you know, uh, but he gets there and he's like, hey, stop crying. She's only sleeping. And it says they ridicule him. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is a very important thing that uh, Jesus describes death as a sleep. What well, doesn't mean you're unconscious. 
the dead do actually feel things. There's no such thing as soul sleep, mm-hmm. right? So it must mean something different. Right. Death of sleep uh, must then mean a, uh, a rest from our labors, a rest of these mortal remains. Right? Just as John Donne's poem says, one short sleep and we wake eternally. I thought that was a good tie-in for All Saints Day. Yeah, that is a good tie-in. We uh, will be doing the traditional gospel reading for All Saints Day, and that is uh, the Matthew 5, commonly known as Beatitudes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, one thing I, I love about All Saints Day is, well, one thing, we get a lot of funerals. I, th- I think uh, I think I counted we have 11 names that we'll be remembering really? on All Saints wow. Day. And uh, all of them happen between March and August. Yeah. So, so uh, as I as I think about All Saints Day, to me, that's it's always my probably my most emotional Sunday. The people right. here can attest to that, you know, because I know a lot. Some churches might do it on the last Sunday of the church year, where you remember those in the congregation. Right. I just like to do it on All Saints Day because it just seems to fit with all the readings and what you're talking about and all the hymns. And to me, it's just a, a way of remembering and be thankful that we have these saints who have gone before us, who who kept the word of God for us, you know, mm-hmm. sustain that word that we may have it today and sustain the church that we can have it today. And and I, I think a lot of pastors go through this where you kind of go through a time of mourning or loss by, by just telling Vicar, you know, how I miss all the wisdom from a lot of the older members and, and I miss their stories and I miss their examples of faith and I miss I miss all the things that all these people taught me over the years. And it's really a call to action to our people nowadays to, to, to do the same for future generations. Mm-hmm. And to remember that they were all sinners, but they were washed clean by the blood of Jesus. That is our hope. And uh, we could have horrible lives here on earth, but we're still blessed and blessed of the Lord. And so to me, it's, it's one of my, my favorite, even though I get a little emotional Sundays, because I think what I wind up doing and b- behind the collar is, with all the funerals that I've done, is uh, I'm very um, to the point. I know what I need to do. For some reason, All Saints Day, um, I just kind of wind up just making it. For me, it's the way I kind of process it. And I don't, I don't like that sometimes I get emotional during that service, but it just... I can't help it sometimes. It just hits me what a blessing it, it has been to be their pastor and to preach the word at their funerals and to, to be with them in their last moments. And so so the people here are kind of used to that for me. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's a safe place to process and kind of lose it because, you know, we try to stay strong for the families at the funeral. Right. And because know. this is not directly dealing with someone as an individual. Right. But you know when I when I read off the names, I think I think of their families. I think of you know what was important to them. I think of the pain that they felt the last amount of time, and and to go name after name and just uh, just having that fly through your head. It, it's emotional for me, but it's it's healing for me too. Mm-hmm. And so my niece was baptized on All Saints Day. Okay, uh, it was pretty rad. Yeah, she just celebrated her fifth birthday party. So. But uh, so it, it makes me appreciate to, to be a pastor and to have been a pastor to to our own saints who have been called to glory. So yeah, it's one of my favorite Sundays. It may not look I may not look like I'm having the funnest time, but right. it is very meaningful and healing for me. 
that's why I do it then. And like I said, I think the proper time to remember the saints is the last Sunday of the church year. But I just like to do it All Saints Day just because it fits so well with with the, the readings and everything. So. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, that brings us, without further ado. So. Oh, do you know what? Et cetera, et cetera. What? We're idiots. We are total idiots. Guess what we forgot? What? What is the name of the studio? It is the Talks and Tasting Studio. What have we been doing? We, have we been missing this? <laughs> We've been talking. We haven't been tasting. We haven't been. <laughs> Well, we really got... Uh, Boy, yeah, what mean, is wrong with us? I lost focus. And I bought a drink, too. So I actually had to threaten to uh, shake people off in a, in a car chase today because they wanted, they, they're desperate to find out where the Toxin Tasting Studio is. Hmm. Oh, we can't let so that be known. That, that knowledge is classified. I mean, we'll let you know for a nominal fee. Indeed, if you want to donate to our uh, our great cause here, um, a couple of things you'll notice: if this isn't doesn't sound as well or as smooth as we are doing this without our producer today, so yeah. he is busy at work. He didn't have a, a night off this week, so. So Peter, this episode is for you. He is one hard working U.S. American. We dedicate the show to you and to all Wolfgangs. Today is a switcheroo day. It is. And we are going to give you a treat because we're going to give you what you asked for. Uh, there were a few people who wanted to hear my top 12 hymns from the Lutheran hymnal. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that is what we're going to do today. And, and let's be honest. I think Vicar, the Vicar app is a little nervous about this. Yeah. So we are, we are going all out. I asked him. To and I've something. seen him nervous. I don't know if I've seen him this nervous. So, you know, I asked. Because he realized, because he's going to have to sing this. And uh, he realizes that the internet is forever. <laughs> it is. He might he might get a permanent place on Canter Eye because of this. So, so how how are you feeling about this? Let's let's hear your your opinion. Uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a little nervous. I did not grow up with TLH, so there's some foreign tunes to me. But I'll I'll do the best you can and put the best construction on it, and uh, hopefully. It'll be uh, beneficial for, for everyone who hears. So. All right, so. Have mercy. <laughs> so, first of all, play the intro. I was, I was just going to get to that. So, hey, Bullhagen, play the intro. <laughs> Enough nonsense. It's time for Bullhagen's Top 12. The Lutheran Hymnal came out in 1941, and it was kind of a unifying hymnal for the Missouri Senate. Um, before this period, there was actually a, there was actually a time of what was called liturgical chaos in the Missouri Senate. Uh, there was actually a... a it's a good thing we've gotten over that now. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, but the Lutheran hymnal brought, a, uh, brought the common service, which was an English divine service with matins and vespers, and, of course, um, the divine service, uh, into English for us to use. Mm -hmm. um, it actually came not from the Missouri Senate, but from the General Council and two other senates. Mm -hmm. Um so, uh, TLH was a uniting factor in the Missouri Senate uh, for a long, long time. Uh, and then new hymnals started to come out. And I think with Lutheran Service Book, LSB as we call it, uh, which is kind of the most standard kind of the Missouri Senate now, mm -hmm. it's kind of a compromise hymnal. It has five different so-called settings of divine services. 
when really they're just different settings. Um, and uh, they did a lot of field testing with it, but I don't think we've ever really gotten the same sort of unity of using the same service and you know that sort of thing since as since we had from TLH. And, and but your point for this is is you're you're doing an analysis of hymns, particularly right. what aspect of hymns. So my criteria for this was pretty stringent because I want to prove to you all that this isn't just a list of my favorite hymns. Some of these hymns I didn't even know about until I started doing this research. Yes. So I want you to listen to what he just said. We do research for you. We do. We saved the listener a lot of time because they're probably all wondering, what hymns have we missed? What hymns do I don't know? What treasure have we been missing out? And this is for you guys. <laughs> so that's the thing. My criteria for this was uh, Lutheran composers only. There's some good stuff written by non-Lutherans, like some very good Christopher uh, Wordsworth hymns, but... My, criteri my criteria is Luther Lutheran composers only, okay? Uh, not in the Lutheran service book, because there are a lot of great hymns in the Lutheran service book. Mm -hmm. So these are ones that people don't normally get to sing or maybe have no idea about it, because uh, I, when I was growing up, I, I did sing from the TLH every once in a while, from TLH every once in a while, mm -hmm. but our primary hymnal was LW, Lutheran Worship. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, these are ones that we might not know. Another uh, criteria was this, that these hymns are better teachers of doctrine. That is, they teach more clearly on some things, or they fill a gap that I see in our modern hymnody. Okay. So that's where uh, I came down. These, th these are my criteria, um, and I tried to be as objective as I possibly could. So. All right. So that brings us to number... 12. Number 12. Hymn 33 in TLH, The Lord Hath Helped Me Hitherto. And this was written by a woman. Her name was Amelia Juliana. She was the daughter of Count Albert Frederick of Barbie and Mullingen. And during the Thirty Years' War, her father and family had to seek refuge uh, in the castle of her uncle. Mm -hmm. And she was the most productive of the German female hymn writers, some 600 hymns being attributed to her. So she is uh, a pretty wow. classy lady, mm -hmm. right? And this is uh, number 12, and it confesses wonderful, wonderful things about the faith. Help me henceforth, O God of grace, help me on each occasion. Help me in each and every place. Help me through Jesus' passion. Help me in life and death, O God. Help me through Jesus' dying blood. Help me as thou hast helped me. All right. All right, so great hymn, right? Mm -hmm. It talks about what mm -hmm. God has done in the past, and it talks about that God is going to continue to help her. Why? Because Jesus died for her, right? And that is the basis of all the help that we receive from the Lord. All right. All right. All right, so. That brings us to number 11. Number 11. Hymn number 104, mm -hmm. Now Praise We Christ the Holy One. This hymn is actually an oldie. It was written by a guy named Sedulius in the 400s. 
So this this hymn is pretty darn old, right? Mm-hmm. In his early life, he devoted himself to heathen literature, and then comparatively late in life, he was converted to Christianity. And so Luther showed his conservative and evangelical ap- approach by publishing a German translation of this hymn in 1524. So this is a Christmas hymn, and it teaches us about the Savior. Okay, stanzas two and five. He who himself all things did make, a servant's form vouchsafed to take, that he as man mankind might win, and save his creatures from their sins. Upon a manger filled with hay, in poverty content he lay, With milk was fed the Lord of all, who feeds the ravens when they call. One thing that that this hymn teaches is that it doesn't just simply describe what's happening at the manger, but it gives us the reason why it's happening. That Jesus made all things, he became a servant, that he as mankind might win, that he takes on poverty and he's content with it, and that he suffers uh, even as he is feeding the ravens, which is which is amazing that he is true God, right? And and what I like about it is uh, is let's be honest, most Christmas hymns aren't very good as much as we love them, <laughs> right? I mean, you know, um, <laughs> you know, Oh little town of Bethlehem, it's it just simply describes it. It gives you a lot of nice imagery, but there's not a lot of substance there. I had a, a confirmation student ask because he was really confused. He goes, um, so did uh, Jesus, when he was a baby, actually cry? Oh, right. Yeah, I've actually thought about that, too. <laughs> you know, that it's like, well, you know, the cattle are lowing, the baby's awake, but little Lord Jesus, no, no crying. crying he makes. makes. It's like, no, of course he cried. <laughs> He's a baby. Right. How, you know, <laughs> crying is not a sin. <laughs> so, um, but no, I mean, that's the thing is that a lot of these hymns don't really teach us. They they give us a lot of imagery of what happened, mm-hmm. but they don't give us a lot of the why. And the why is so much more important. Yeah. God became man to save us from our sins. I think that's why, I think, to a certain degree, why a lot of the, a lot of the Christmas hymns have wide appeal even outside of Christianity because, oh, it's just a pretty scene, a manger, right. Cattle, animals, animal stall, star in the sky, how beautiful. Yep, it's quiet, you right. know. <laughs> I, no, I, no, it's true, right? right? Silent night, holy night, right? All is calm, all is bright. Pff, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure, you know, it was pretty darn noisy in Bethlehem because <laughs> the town was filled to capacity with a bunch of angry people who had to pay taxes. I mean, it'd be like standing in the DMV, you know, and then getting, you know, knocked with uh, more taxes, right? And while someone's giving birth. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so. All right. That brings us to number. Number 10. TLH 407. Farewell, I gladly bid thee. This hymn was written by Valerius Herberger. He's a wonderful Lutheran theologian. And his works are being translated by Matthew Carver. He's got a bunch of books uh, on um, in our publishing house, which is uh, I, I'm blanking. Concordia. Concordia Publishing Publishing House. House. Thank you. 
I'm sorry. Wow. It's yeah, I know, right? It's <laughs> it's that was he was just wondering about my new car, what kind of car I drive. Yeah. It, I want to say yes. <laughs> so, anyway, if you if you desire to read some of his works, please, you know, go and go and purchase them. They're really really good. Uh, the occasion for writing this wonderful hymn is found in its amazing title, and it's really its subtitle. The farewell of Valerius Herberger that he gave to this world in the autumn of the year 1613 when he saw, when he every hour saw death before his eyes, but mercifully and also as wonderfully as the three men in the furnace of ba- at Babylon was nevertheless spared. See, during this time that he wrote this hymn, 2,135 people perished at Fraustadt. Wow. Right? So he was burying people all the time. Okay. We're talking about All Saints Day, right? This, right. You know, but he manfully stuck to his post, right? Even though the plague is killing his neighbors, killing his friends, mm-hmm. killing his congregation, he remained faithful. He was a good pastor and he stayed there and he passed through all of these things unhurt and he comforted the sick and he helped to bury the dead, right? So let's, uh, so it's a really moving hymn. What, what number was it again? This is number 10, 407, Farewell, I, I Gladly Bid Thee. And I got stanza three for you. When darkness round me gathers thy name and cross still bright, deep in my heart are sparkling like stars in blackest night. O heart, this image cherish, the Christ on Calvary, how patiently he suffered and shed his blood for me. Very nice. So yeah, some of these are really hard to find because really all the stances are so amazing, right? Mm-hmm. But this one is good, especially when we are in the midst of death and darkness to remember what Christ has done for us on the cross. And uh, we can probably post these because all these hymns are public domain, aren't they? Uh, yes, I believe so. So uh, maybe we can uh, put them all together in a, in a PDF and post it on our Facebook and people can just download them. Yes, because they would be great to be to sing uh, and have and tell your pastors about it. Pastors, bring the TLH back, right? <laughs> all right. What does that? That brings us to number nine. Number nine. Number nine. Number nine. TLH six hundred one. All men living are but mortal. Okay, this hymn was written by Johann Georg Albinus. He wrote this hymn for the funerals of Paul von Hessenberg, a Leipzig merchant and Regina Staffeline. Bach actually used the seventh stanza in his cantata for Trinity 16, the widow of Nain. Oh. When he, so this is actually part of a Bach cantata. So, Vicar? So I'm going to sing stanza three. Jesus, for my sake descended, my salvation to obtain. Death and hell for me are ended, peace and hope are now my gain. Yea, with joy I leave her sadness, for the home of heavenly gladness, where I shall forever see God the Holy Trinity. That was a tough one. (laughs) Yeah. Good job, Vicar. Good work. Beautiful hymn. Uh, it really should be sung more at funerals because it gives the comfort and the hope 
that we all need. Mm-hmm. Not only the one sitting in the pew, but this this entire hymn tells us about what happens to the person who dies in the faith, right? That death and hell for me are ended. That I am leaving earth's sadness, and I'm going to go and see the Holy Trinity. What a beautiful thing. Very nice. I, li- I like these so far. Let's bring these treasures back, huh? Indeed. So, this that brings us to number eight. Number eight. TLH 594, When My Last Hour is Close at Hand. And this this hymn, uh, I, I have a soft spot for because we actually sang it for my daughter's funeral. Um, this was written by, uh, by Hermann, who was born in Altdorf. And in 1518, he came to be a cantor and a teacher at a Latin school in Bohemia. He was a supporter of the Reformation. A letter uh, uh, of Martin Luther to him is dated the 6th of November, 1524. And this hymn is a prayer for a blessed last hour based on the words of Augustine. And the, the Latin is, Turabobor sed non perturabobor quia vulnerum Christi recordabor. And to translate that, I am disturbed but not wholly confounded because I will recollect the wounds of Christ. So, Vicar, stanza two. My sins, dear Lord, disturb me sore. My conscience cannot slumber. But thou hast sands upon the shore. My sins may be in number. I will not quail, but think of thee. Thy death, thy sorrow born for me. Thy suffering shall uphold me. Very good. See, I like it because it's kind of like a lullaby, mm-hmm. which is great. Um, it reminds us of, uh, which, I mean, worked for my daughter, so. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, isn't this what death should be like? Yeah. Shouldn't it be a lullaby? That when my sins disturb me, uh, I will not quail but think of thee. Thy death, thy sorrow born for me, thy suffering shall uphold me. Right? Kind of like stanza three. I am a branch in thee, the vine, and hence the comfort borrow, that thou wilt surely keep me thine, though fear and pain and sorrow. And when I die, I die to thee. Thy precious death hath won for me, the life that never endeth. Mm. You know, as you, as you read that, uh, the Bullhagen in me, wants to to find another hymn to read side by side so that we can see the difference. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, I, I just, you know, what a wonderful way to, uh, especially when you are about to, to go, because we all die alone. Mm-hmm. Nobody can die with us. Um, and yet this hymn gives comfort that I'm not alone. Christ is with me. If I am in him and he is in me, uh, then when I die... Uh, I die to him, right? And he has given me the life that never ends. So, all right. And then this brings us to number seven. Number seven. TLH 103, To Shepherds as They Watched by Night. Martin Luther wrote this hymn in 1543. This is another Christmas hymn. And it was used when his Christmas hymn from heaven above was thought to be too long. (laughs) So... (laughs) 
See, even even <laughs> see, pastors actually do care about you guys, right? And you know, we might seem like tyrants and make you sing all these stanzas, blah blah blah, right? We we do actually care about you. So, well, at least uh, at least Luther did. So, <clears throat> this hymn is far superior to most English Christmas hymns, for it not only narrates Luke two, but it also gives the meaning of the incarnation, which is our salvation. So. Stanzas four and five. What harm can sin and death then do? The true God now abides with you. Let hell and Satan rage and chafe. Christ is your brother, ye are safe. Not one he will or can forsake, who him his confidence doth make. Let all his wiles the tempter try. You may his utmost powers defy. So yeah, I mean, I think it it, it sums it all up. Christ is your brother, ye are safe. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. Mm-hmm. And it addresses the, the, the true point of, of Christmas. Right. When it's all being, you know, covered over by presents and family get-togethers and all this, um, Christ became part of our family. And so we will try and post, that we're, we're only doing half of the top 12 list. We will continue the top 12 yeah, we, list next time. You know, we don't want to overburden you. So, you know, with, with too much uh, with too much awesomeness, so. And, and but we will um, post these on our Facebook page so that uh, you can kind of download them and read the whole thing. And give a shout out to Vicar. He did an awesome job, so. Yeah. This is the first vicar we've had do so much. So I, I don't think Alexa could have done that. Yeah. Do you think Siri could have done that? No, I don't think so. Maybe but I, our app can. Siri's pretty monotone, you know? <laughs> it, it's true. So good good work, vicar. Good work, vicar. And so tell us what you think. Uh, you can get a hold of us at uh, Clerical Errors P for podcast on our Twitter account. You can email us at feedback. At clericalheirs.org. Or rock at clericalheirs.org. There you go. You can messenger messenger us at... Uh, <laughs> on the Facebook. Uh, on the Facebook, yes. and uh, But let us know what you think. And uh, we will continue next week then with... With part duh. Part du, yes. <laughs> All right. That brings us to uh, what would normally be... Berg's Bodacious Blasphemies, but today it's... Bullhagen's Bodacious Blasphemies. Bullhagen, play the intro. Berg's Bodacious Blasphemies is the part of the show where Berg seeks to sell you ancient damned illusions by repackaging them for modern consumption. In short, Berg makes bad stuff sound bodacious. So, um... I don't really have, I just want to go get into it. I don't want to give you much of an introduction because I think it speaks for itself. Sounds awesome. All right. Let's do this. All right, let's do this. Real talk. So, Berg, have you ever looked at Roadkill and thought to yourself, pick yourself up, you slacker? Probably all not. Time. All the time. For one simple reason, Roadkill is dead. Maybe you've stared at that flattened technicolor cat and wondered, 
Maybe if you reason with that pile of goo, you might find something good in its core, and it can make its way to the side of the road without the use of a spatula. Synergism is a concept that when it comes to conversion, the believer works in cooperation with God. God does his part, and you do your part. So, just like that dead cat in the middle of the road, it can make a little bit of a decision to become alive once again. So if that's you, then you got saved by synergism. Like a feline pavement pizza, you can make that fateful decision by intellect or will to pick yourself up by the ears and saunter back to the nine lives that God meant for you all along. Synergism has some advantages, Berg. It does? It gives you the chance to pat yourself on the back and be thankful that you're not like those other dead animals left for dead that never decided and never had a choice to follow Jesus. What a wonderful thing it is to say, when it came to my sins and my conversion, I wasn't as dead as I thought. But here's the thing. Sin is death. In Ezekiel 37, God asked the prophet, Can these bones live? And dead, dry bones they were. They were dead, and Ezekiel proclaimed the word of God to them, and they came bone to bone and flesh to flesh. And then God told Ezekiel to preach the word of God, and the wind of the Holy Spirit breathed in life into those dead, and then they were alive. And God made sure Ezekiel knew that when you see this happen, you know that I, God says, I have done it. So proponents of synergism may ask, doesn't God require us to believe? Well, certainly we believe, but the Bible rejects the idea that implies that it is your natural ability to believe in him without the Holy Spirit. Well, you might think, well, then isn't God just forcing us to believe? Is that what you're saying? No, actually, I believe that when God brings us to faith, he actually changes us. He changes us from death to life. He draws us in by the power of the Holy Spirit in the gospel. He doesn't just grab us by the short hairs. He appeals to us by the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the gospel. Well, because someone can reject the gospel, you might say, then by rejecting, aren't they accepting it by not rejecting it and doing their part? What part of death do you not understand? Sin is death. Roadkill can't will itself alive. Dry bones can breathe life into itself. Or maybe you like to think of yourself like a high-profile athlete. A free agent, if you will. Signing the contract of the gospel that God has just placed before you. Maybe he makes an offer, you look at it and you say, Yes, this is an offer that I agree with that I can accept. Well, congratulations, dear sir. You have just put the word of God to the test. Rather than being a word that is an untracing truth, you made an agreeable truth that your lovely heart can decide and agree with and therefore make yourself alive. But here's the problem, Berg. From synergism comes pride in yourself. It teaches a church to make unchurchly appeals rather than the gospel to the unbeliever. It forgets how dead in sin we are. It leads to the rejection of infant baptism. It teaches that we are not 
saved by grace alone, but by our own doing. It leads some to believe, left to my own devices, I was never evil to the core from the beginning. And if we make people good, moral people, then we can teach them to fake it until they make it, and finally believe by their works. It tells sinners that you are saved because there was something in your dead flesh that bought into it. But I encourage you to reject synergism. Instead, rather see yourself as a flattened calf on the side of the road that Jesus raised from the dead and rejoice that we are saved by grace alone. Dude, it's awesome. <laughs> you must have watched Pet Cemetery before you came over here. <laughs> so what do you think of that analysis of synergism? It's good. It's very good. Um, yeah, ex- you're exactly right. Apart from God, um, I mean, we see this, what, in First in Corinthians, right? That the natural man can't understand the things of God. They're foolishness to him. That apart from God, we are, yeah, and you, you quoted it in Ezekiel. You can also find it in Ephesians chapter 2. Mm-hmm. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. Um, that the natural mind is at enmity with God. We're actually God's enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's all... But it has those yeah. consequences, though. It, it does. You it, know. it has a con- the consequences because I think what bothers people is they think, well, if, I, if this is how I'm... Why is it that I'm saved and others are not? Mm-hmm. And it leads them to think there must have been something good in me. Yeah, at least I'm. I made the the decision, right? Right. I accepted. And and, and really, I what I tried to do with this is really try to. Th- I really tried to jump into synergism a little bit. That's why I came up with a, the signing the contract right idea, where where God has the, the gospel for you. He places it before you. You look at it. You say. It's agreeable, and then you sign it. You say, yes, I agree to this. You both did your part. You gave me the contract. Mm-hmm. I agreed to it. But but I tried to point out there, that's putting God's word to the test. It is. It makes God's word from something that is living and active into something inert, into something that's a potential. Right. You know, you just got to add your decision to make it real. Right. You know? So when you say, I accept this, you are saying okay, yes, I can agree to what God's word has to say. And that's... Yeah, you're actually putting yourself over the word of God. And in fact, you are the principal mover of your salvation. A bunch of us were talking together and um, uh, there's a girl in the group who didn't wasn't Lutheran, didn't believe like we believed. And uh, we kept pressing her on it. And because she would say kind of contradictory things like, I accepted Jesus, but then also that the Holy Spirit was working in her life. And so we kept pressing around it, and it's like, okay, who's the real mover here? Mm-hmm. Who's the one who actually causes your salvation? Mm-hmm. And she ended up saying herself that she was the principal uh, mover. She was, you know, her acceptance actually made her salvation real. Mm-hmm. And that obscures the glory of Christ. That obscures the, the power of the Holy Spirit. It, it obscures the power of the word. Hence uh, the, the, the flattened calf right. imagery. Indeed. Calf or cat? <laughs> the cat cannot decide. Right. Is it Schrodinger's cat? It's dead and alive at the same time? <laughs> 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 so anyway. But yeah, no, that was good. I like uh, because synergism is a real problem in the United States today. It really is. 
And it's always going to be a problem for people because we want to do something. God mm-hmm. can do 99%, but if we still have our 1%, you know, we're that's what our sinful flesh wants. But if that's the way it is, then we really have no assurance. Right. Because then did we really accept Jesus? Did we really do this? Did we really do our 1%? Right. So. All right. Um, that brings us to Confound the Clerics. Bullhagen, play the intro. Confound the Clerics. So uh, today we have a question from a Twitter Twitter follower. I can't believe it. We've got we've got Twitter followers now. We got a tweet, man. Do you know how I know about we got it? Because our, our producer, who is who understands Twitter, took a screenshot <laughs> of the Twitter question, and then he sent it to us <laughs> on email. <laughs> oh, we we are so lost without Peter. <laughs> <laughs> and another thing happened. We had someone who made a comment on our Facebook page. And so we have it set up so that we have to approve. Right. And do you think for the life of me, I can understand how to approve a Facebook comment so that it can be posted? I try it. I. It is impossible. I, I don't know. I. Oh. Oh, well. Anyways. So Hannah uh, asks the question. It's a simple question. Have you heard of a death doula. So, Burke, have you heard of a death doula? <laughs> I, I have never heard of a death doula before. In fact, I, I was a little hazy on what a, just a doula was mm-hmm. until we had we had talked a little bit about it. So, um, so, so uh, I think a doula is... Boy, I'm going to... I'm gonna butcher this because there are gonna be some hardcore doula people who okay. are angry doula. Well, people. let's just have Vicar Google it and then you have a baby. What's him. a doula? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so a doula, uh, normally like midwives or doulas, uh, you know, people use that term sometimes interchangeably. They help with the birthing process. Well, right. By the way, I have a feeling though, if if you tell a, a midwife she's a doula and if you, she'll be upset, and if you tell a doula she's a midwife, she'd probably be upset. But I'll take notes. We're a couple of dudes. <laughs> yeah, right. We really have no idea. <laughs> okay, so so you know, I googled a death doula because I haven't heard of this either. Um, it's a person who assists in the dying process. It's often a community-based role, aiming to help families cope with death through recognizing it as a natural and important part of life. Oh. Okay. So. Um, the role can supplement or go beyond uh, what hospice would offer. Um, and the people that, that work as death doulas, they offer a large variety of services that range from creating death plans to providing spiritual, psychological, and social support before and just after death uh, for the family. So, um, yeah, planning funerals, memorial services, guiding mourners, in their responsibility. So, so it sounds to me like this has a couple of things from that definition that concern me. One is the way it, it kind of has a strong spiritual aspect to it. Yeah, that it that could be it could be problematic. And, and the other thing is this is the way it kind of uplifts dead death as a a natural, almost uplifting. Right. Right. That. Yeah. Where the Bible talks about death as being an enemy, um, you know, and but for the believers, death, of course, is asleep. 
but yeah. I, so so I appreciate that obviously there's a need for people to help through that, but I worry a little bit about a death duly overstepping the bounds and, and making it something from a spirit, because death, death really is a theological idea as well as right. a natural process. Right. And, and, and so, and so I worry that a death doula might overstep the bounds. And it, and it seems like, at least from what I understand with this, the death doula deals more with the family than really with the dying person. Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting. So I think you mentioned earlier, Vicar, that uh, the tr- what, what's a training for a death doula? The training is three training days that go from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. They're offered at, I think, maybe uh, quarterly. Okay. And it's an online kind of webinar sort of thing. Okay. So uh, I'm not sure if that gives you enough time. Yeah, th- that doesn't seem like a lot of time to, I don't know, be with people in some of the most traumatic periods of their of their lives after they've lost a loved one. Right. So, so Hannah, uh, thank you for pointing this out because we really, as you can tell, have never re- heard of this. No. Um, I think the idea of having someone, you know, to help and assist the family in the grieving process, um, I think there's a place for it. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, it's kind of interesting because you know, in uh, in older literature, they would talk about um, one's um, day of death as being their heavenly birthday, right? Which kind of goes, you know, a death doula, right? Mm-hmm. That they're they're moving from from the womb of this life into, you know, outside of that to uh, to a new, right? You know, to to, to heaven, mm-hmm. which is kind of an interesting idea. Um, but I would want their theological training to be. And unabashedly then, confessional right. and, and you know first and foremost and then that everything is looked at through that lens right because it, and from because there's two things involved really um and i think maybe the idea is that there's uh some something can some things can fall through the cracks if you have the medical community and then you have the pastor maybe they feel as though some things fall through the cracks but I'm guessing this could be a complete guess, is is uh, that a death doula might be something that is used when there is no, no pastor, no pastor, right? And there is no understanding of death, and right. I think that's when a death doula might come in more, more because uh, because death is a hard thing to wrestle, and if you don't have have uh, a, a faith or a to rely on or an understanding what scripture says about it, then it is confusing and it is chaotic and, and it's chaotic enough, but you and I have been, been with enough brothers and sisters in Christ where as hard as it was, there was no question about what exactly is going on, what's happening. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it, and you see someone who was struggling in a lot of pain and to be at rest and be with Jesus. And, and if you have that, everything, I think, the need for a death doula becomes a little less necessary. Right. I do think, however, that there is a place for, you know, kind of leading you through some of these things that you have to do mm-hmm. when you're in the throes of grief. Um, and, I, and, and I think this could be something, you know, one thing we have in, in the Lutheran church is we have deaconesses. Mm-hmm. You know, this could, this to me fits right in that role of, of ways that a, a deaconess could help. Right. Um, now, in a place like where we are in Iowa, 
we don't really have the resources to make use of something like that. Right. Because, you know, after somebody dies, there are a lot of decisions to make, especially if they die very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to buy a burial plot. You have to try and get a service together, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, no no doubt the pastor will help you with that. Right. And by the way, it's always, it's never a bad thing to sit down with your pastor and say, um, to, to really plan your pastor with your or your funeral with your pastor. Right. You know, it doesn't matter what age you are. And honestly, guys, that is so much easier if all the people can do is sit back and grieve and mm-hmm. they don't have to make a lot of decisions. Mm-hmm. Even if it's something where you have something written down where you say, you know, my pastor, I trust my pastor to... Because sometimes families don't want to... They say, well, you know, we want this, this, and this. And the loved one just said, would just, well, I trust pastor to, to choose the readings and the hymns and all those things. Right. And they would just rather, even if it's something like that, um, because, you know, it's not, you know, we're, we're, we're trained at preparing funerals and funeral right. services. So, so it doesn't stress us out to, to, to put a, a funeral service together a short amount of time. Right. And then you got all the other things like the social security stuff. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's just, there are a lot of loose ends to tie up with estates and stuff. And so like in things like that, I I understand having somebody there to maybe walk you through it, especially if you're, you know, uh, if you've never done it before or if you are, you know. But a a three-day training, is that going to? that That's not very good. That's just, yeah, that's not very good. So. So maybe we'll, we'll maybe do a little more research, Hannah, and maybe yeah. we can not fumble around so much. But I think it answers your questions. Have we heard of it or not? Uh, we have not heard of but, it but, uh, until today. But, uh, but uh, I think we should thank Hannah, don't you think? Yes. Because, because it alerts our ears to to something that could be going on and something that that we might be seeing more of in the future so we can be more aware of it. So we aren't caught off guard by, off guard by that. Right. So thank you, Hannah. So that brings us to the conclusion of our show. It might be a little shorter today. That's because we don't have our our uh, producer with us today. So right, and uh, some of us have to edit stuff, and you know it's a little <laughs> bit harder for old minds. So so stay tuned. Next time we will have the top six hymns that are in TLH that are not in uh, the Lutheran hymnal that are in Lutheran hymnal that are not in the Lutheran uh, service, service book. book. And uh, we'll have that, and uh, I'll have to throw together another blasphemy then. So. It's going to be rad, man. So, or uh, we can do a Kanye watch. There you go. We haven't done that so. yet. So if, you, if you've if you heard his music, uh, his, new, uh, his new album of Christian music, let us know what you think. Yeah. What is it called? Christ is King? Mm-hmm. Right. So. But uh, in the meantime, uh, our time here is up, so. I'm Bullhagen. And I'm Berg. And uh, may your doulas be doulas of life. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. On Twitter at clericalheirsp for podcast or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.